Lord, I just thank you this morning that your word tells us, I was thinking about this, that, that, that the word of God is God-breathed. It comes from you. It's God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And Lord, you know exactly what we need this morning. God, hopefully not, but maybe we need rebuke. Lord, maybe we need correction. Lord, maybe we just need your training. Maybe we need encouragement this morning. Lord, I pray uh, uh, that the word of God would do the very thing that our hearts need this morning. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that as followers of Jesus, we're not superstitious people, Lord. We don't hold to pagan beliefs. We don't want to be religious, Lord. We want to live in a relationship with the living God. And so, Lord, we pray that we would just be uh, stripped of our works this morning, Lord, stripped of our efforts, and that we would come in faith to the word of God and just receive that which you have for us, Lord. Thank you that your word is living, and it's active, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it divides, Lord, things of the flesh and things of the spirit. And, Lord, we just pray that your word would pierce our own hearts this morning, that it would do a work of the spirit. And so, Lord, speak to us. We give you this time, Lord, praying that, that our hearts and our lives would be transformed and that Jesus would be preached. And we pray these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. Okay, we're in Josh, uh, Judges chapter 11, and we're going to go right there. We're going to just dive right in. Okay, so here it goes. Verse 1, it says this. Now, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Okay, so right off the hop here, we read this. This is a messy story. Let's just get it straight. Right off the, off the hop. But we read that just like Gideon, Jephthah, this man, was a mighty warrior. And similar to Gideon's son Abimelech, his mother was a prostitute. He was an illegitimate son. He was an unlikely hero. We're going to see that as we make our way through this story. He was an unwanted brother. And clearly this dude came from a dysfunctional family. Any dysfunctional families out there this morning? You go, oh, wait a minute. That's me. I come from a dysfunctional family. Okay, well, let's just read what happens here. Well, well, you know, as you think about this, it doesn't take too much to kind of figure out that this guy was probably teased and taunted by his siblings. He was probably teased and taunted everywhere he went for being an illegitimate son. But what we're going to see is this, is that God is going to use him. And this is another one of these situations in scripture that we can look at and, and just know that no matter what your past is, no matter what your reputation has been, that if God will use a man like Jephthah, he can use you. I, just, I love that because this is what we see all throughout the word of God, that God loves unlikely people. God, God loves even people from dysfunctional families. Okay, verse 3. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers, and he lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. So... Besides being an outcast, what we find, a complete outcast, what we find out about Jephthah is not only that, he was a, he was a marauder, he was like a pirate, uh, a leader of, I don't know, it became like an organized crime syndicate here, a bit of a mob thing, the Tob mob. And so he was a criminal from a broken home. 
But the amazing thing is, is God is going to get a hold of this guy's life and God is going to raise him up to be a judge, to be a savior, to be a deliverer for the children of Israel. And, and in him, there are four shadows of Jesus. Now, not criminally. We know this. Jesus was no criminal. No criminal whatsoever. But Jesus was unlikely, like Jephthah. In the minds of many, he was rejected by his Jewish brothers, just like Jephthah was rejected by his brothers. And Jesus was God's chosen savior, deliverer, uh, judge for all. So there are overtones, just like all the way through judges, we've seen this. In each of these judge characters, there are overtones and pictures of Jesus that be, can, can be seen so that we get this ultimate picture of what Jesus the ultimate savior would be like. He would be unlikely. He would be unwanted. He would be rejected by those who were his own. But the Bible says this about Jesus, that though he was rejected by his own, that anyone who would, re who would receive him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So let's read on. We'll find out what happens with this character, Jephthah. It says this in verse 4. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come, be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Do you not hate me? Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? So just to get our, our sense here of what's, what's going on, we're going to kind of invest a bunch of time in the, in the back end of this text this morning. So I'm going to try to move as quickly as I can here. But we see that the Ammonites come and they make, they make war on Israel. And so the leaders of Israel go and they get Jephthah and they say, come and be our leader. Come, come and lead our army. They turn to the toughest man that they knew. See, that's what you do. When you're in trouble, you find the toughest guy you know, and then you say, you got to help me. That's what they did. Come fight for us. And Jephthah was not simply won over by their flattery and by their invitation. He calls them on it. He says, you hated me. Don't you remember you drove me out of my father's house? And now you only want me because you're in trouble. So it says in verse 8, And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned to you now, that you may go and Go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our, be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. Verse 10. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us. If we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all these words before the Lord at Mizpah. So we just get this picture here of what's going on. This guy's been treated terribly by his Israelite brothers, badly. But now they need him to rescue them. And again here, don't you see as we read this, the picture of who? The picture of Jesus. Jesus was treated so badly, he was rejected as the Messiah, rejected by his Jewish brothers. But the Bible prophesies that the time will come when they will call on him and Jesus will come and save 
the people of Israel, and they will realize the one they have rejected is actually God's anointed deliverer, God's anointed Savior, the Messiah. And so as we read this, we see that Jephthah was not not willing to just simply save them and not be recognized. He says, no, no, no. This isn't going to be how this operates. The, The condition from the man who's not so easily won over by his Jewish brothers is this. If you want me to save you, you have to make me leader. You have to make me the head of all the people. Acknowledge me as your judge. Acknowledge me as your savior. If, if you want me to save you, you have to acknowledge me as your deliverer. And so they reassure him. They say to him, the Lord is witness between us. And they made him leader over the people of Gilead. You know, it's this way with Jesus. It's this way with Jesus. So you can't just say, Jesus, just save me and then go on and live your life how you want. Jesus, his rescue is accompanied by his rule. You can't repent of sin without acknowledging the lordship of Jesus. His right to rule. His right to be your deliverer, savior, and lord. The right rule of Jesus. See, you can't have Jesus rescue without his rule. You can't have him save you unless you'll make him your savior. And this man, Jephthah, he's a great picture of Jesus in this sense. And I think about him, his life had prepared him. His life had uh, qualified him to bring salvation to the the people of Israel. There had been nothing easy about his life, but his life had prepared him for the calling that God had upon him and all that God had in store for him. And again, this is a shadow of Jesus, a picture, a foreshadow of him. Jesus, the Bible tells us, was tempted in every way, and yet he was without sin. Jesus was rejected by his brothers, and yet he was totally righteous. Life prepared Jesus for the ultimate act of humility and weakness, the cross, where he gave his life for the sin of mankind. But life also prepared him for the ultimate victory that he would have in his father, his resurrection from the dead, and Jesus bore our sin in his body on that tree so that through his death and through his resurrection, we could be saved and he could become the leader of our lives and lead us in his righteousness, in his right action, and give us his peace. And I, you know, read this story of Jephthah, and I got to tell you, I, I take hope because it makes me think this, that God is at work to always prepare you to prepare me, to prepare us. He's preparing you. His work in you is to work humility into your life, to work the the work of the Spirit into your life so that Jesus can be glorified in the victory of your life. You know, you might be looking at your life today right now and, and, and questioning, Lord, what is going on? Why, why is nothing easy, God? Why is everything so hard right now? Why is there all of this hard stuff that I just seem to be working my way through, Lord? And sometimes, you know, the hard stuff is self-inflicted. You know, sometimes I just pay the price of my decision. You pay the prices for for your decision. But lots of times the fact is, is that there's uh, stuff that just happens. 
in life. It, it, it just happens. Something that you were born into. And I, and I want to just encourage you this morning. Look, at if you're a follower of Jesus, the Lord is preparing you for victory. The Lord is leading you towards victory. And he is at work to shape your character and to shape your nature for what he has in store for you. And I'll tell you what he has in store for you. Jesus has victory in store for you. Now let's read on here. Verse 12, it says this. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, what do you have against me that you have come to fight me? That you have come to me to fight against my land. So Jephthah here, we see this. He He didn't go to war right away with the enemy. Instead, he sought to understand the situation and he sought to understand if there could be a peaceful negotiation. Now let's bite a chunk off here. Verse 13. And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel on coming up from Egypt took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan. Now therefore restore it peacefully. Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said to them, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And they sent also to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. Then they journeyed through the wilderness and went around the land of Edom, Edom and the land of Moab and arrived on the east side of the land of Moab and camped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the territory of Moab for Arnon was the boundary of Moab. Israel then sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon and said to him, please let us pass through your land to our country. So here we just see this, that Jephthah gives us a little bit of a history lesson, a little bit of a history lesson to the Ammonites about the coming out of of Israel from the wilderness as they were led by Moses. They they went to Edom and the land of Moab and they requested safe passage, but the kings of Edom and Moab uh, said, no, you can't access the promised land by coming through our territory. So the nation of Israel turned in another direction and they entered the land of Canaan further from the south and they came to the, to the king of the Amorites, to the land of the Amorites, not the land of uh, Moab or Ammon, and they requested that Sihon would peacefully let them pass through his land. Now let's read on here, verse 20. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and encamped at Jahaz and fought with Israel. So we read here that this king, uh, Sihon, not only refused passage, but he rallied his army and he attacked Israel. Now verse 21, and the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. And they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. So what he is saying is this. He's saying that the, that the land was never the Ammonites. It's, remember, it's the Ammonites that have come against Israel right now. That's who Jephthah is facing. And he's saying the land that we have was never 
your land. We won it from the Amorites. It had nothing to do with you. It was Israel and the Amorites. The Ammonites were not in the picture. The Lord gave it to us. Verse 23. So then the Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess. I love this. You know, I like this just kind of a little bit of mouthing off from Jephthah. He says this. He continues. He says, whatever your God Chemosh gave you, I guess that's your inheritance. And we'll, our inheritance will be what the Lord has given us. We know this. The Chemosh was no God whatsoever. <laughs> no God. He says, you have what your God gave you but we'll possess the land that the Lord has given us. Now, verse 25. Now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever contend against Israel, or did he ever go to war with them? While Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages, and in Aor and its villages, and in all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon, 300 years, why did you not deliver them within that time? I therefore have not sinned against you and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. So just to further his argument as he seeks to have peace with these people, but they're not having it. Jephthah says, you've had 300 years to free this land. 300 years. And up to this point, You have not thought it necessary to attack Israel, nor to challenge our right to the land. So what's the deal now? What's going on? So all these arguments prove that that the Ammonites are in the wrong. It's just, he just heaps it upon the enemies of the Lord, that they are in the wrong. Now verse 28 says this, but the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. So war is inevitable. Diplomacy fails. And then we read in verse 29. Then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh. And passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. Now I love this. Here we are. We come to this section where it says this. The spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And that is the formula of victory right there. Every time when the Spirit of God comes upon a man or a woman, that is the formula of victory. I would say this, from this point on, the outcome is inevitable. It's inevitable. This guy was illegitimate, Jephthah. He was unlikely. He was unwanted. He had been a marauding pirate. But the Lord said this, you are my man. And the Spirit of God came upon him. And, and he advanced against the enemy for their defeat. Verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So here's Jephthah. The Spirit of God has clothed him with power, he is moving through the communities of Gilead. He's pulling his army together. He's anointed of the Lord. 
And as he is going, he makes this vow. He says this, that he would sacrifice to the Lord as a burnt offering, whatever came to meet him from his house when he returned in victory, which is really odd. You know, like you got to read that and it's like, oh, that's kind of strange vow. And then he goes on to fight. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to read through here and then we're going to just try and get our heads around this because I have to tell you this. This is one of the toughest passages. That which we're about to read is counted amongst one of the toughest passages in the Old Testament for us to understand and wrap our heads around. So it says this in verse 32. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Eor to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 cities, and as far as Abel, Karamim, with a great blow, So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of the Lord. This is total victory. Total victory from the Lord. Verse 34. Then Jephthah came home, uh, came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter. You have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble for me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. Man, you read this, and it's like total victory from the Lord. This should have been a great time of celebration and and joy. But the first thing out the door to meet Jephthah after he'd made this vow that he would offer as a burnt sacrifice to the Lord whatever met him from his house came his one and only daughter. I can't, I cannot imagine this now. Just think about this. You know, I got one daughter. She's the joy of my life, man. If there is someone that has me wrapped around their finger, it's my daughter. You know, you could ask any father that they'll tell you that about their girls. This man had one one daughter, his only, and, and she was his only child. This is the pride of his life, man, the joy of his life. And, and you can just imagine what it says about her, that she came out of the house to greet her father. Well, any dad will tell you just the great joy of his children meeting him after a day of work. This man had been at war. And his daughter comes out to me, and she has tambourines and dancing, and I imagine her hair is all done up, and She's wearing her favorite outfit, rejoicing with her dad. And as we read this, I mean, there's no way Jephthah was expecting that it was going to be his daughter to be the first to come out the door of his house. And he almost seems to blame her as he laments the fact that he had made a rash vow to the Lord. I open my mouth to the Lord and I can't take it back, he says. Now let's read on. This is a tragic story. Verse 36. And she said to him, my father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, let this thing be done to me. Leave me alone for two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity. I and my companions. So he said, go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed. She and her companions and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father who did with her 
according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in the year. Man, isn't this a terrible end to this? Everything seems to be going so great here, you know, as you read this story in so many ways. I mean, the unlikely, unwanted brother, he finds this redemption. He becomes the leader of God's people. God gives him this great victory. And because he's made this rash vow, he has to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And, you know, it's interesting that the text doesn't tell us what happened? It's like crazy. It's like there's a lot of unanswered questions as you read this. Don't you think that? Like I read this, and one of the things that I'm left with is it's like, well, I don't, what happened here? What's going on in this story? You know, the, it doesn't, doesn't tell us, oh, Jephthah took his daughter to the temple or this or that and how exactly things happened, and you wonder, did Jephthah kill his daughter? Many scholars and, and Bible commentators throughout history have said, yeah, That's exactly what he did. He honored his vow to the Lord and he offered his daughter and human sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord. It's disturbing. You're like, what? I thought this guy was a follower of the living God. How could this be the case? God doesn't condone or approve human sacrifice. Other Bible scholars and teachers say this. No, no, God abhors such offerings. That's what the nations around Israel did, the Canaanites. And the Lord commanded his people not to practice such religious actions as child sacrifice. He couldn't have killed her. Instead, he did this. He committed her to service of the Lord. She she lived as a virgin for the rest of her life, serving the Lord in the house of the Lord all of her life. And you know, it's interesting as you study this passage, there's just... A lot of arguments that legitimately take this discussion in both directions. In fact, I was shocked, you know, as I was studying this, I kind of came with my my mind made up on what I thought the outcome was. And I was shocked that as I was studying the resources I looked at, they were perfectly divided in half. 50% of those that I read and studied and looked to said, Jephthah sacrificed his daughter as a burnt offering. And the other 50% said, no, he didn't. God would not have him ever do such a thing. No, she lived out her life as a virgin and service to the Lord. And so you go this, you read this passage and it doesn't tell you. And so you say, well, what's the answer? And I have to just tell you, this is just one of those spots in the scripture where I would say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I say that, you know, I think, well, is that a cop-out? I I don't think it is. The scripture doesn't exactly make it clear. I mean, the arguments are convincing both ways. But I would say this, either way, either way the sacrifice was more than I would want to be responsible for. The sacrifice was greater than I would want to put on any father ever. Either he sacrificed his daughter as a burnt offering Or he sacrificed her future and the hope of a family line being carried on to serve the Lord. And you know, I read this and I just think that this is one of these spots in life. This is one of these spots in the scripture. 
And I think this is important, important to recognize this, that we can't come to any conclusion that will actually satisfy us. Some things in life are like that. You know, you just can't ever arrive at a conclusion that will satisfy your heart and your mind. There's just no answer. You know, we all have stuff like that in our lives where, you know, there's just no answer that will serve to fulfill and to satisfy as an explanation to our questions. And it makes me think this, it brings me back to this question. If there's no answer and I can't figure out what's going on here, then my question returns to this. Why did Jephthah ever make that vow? Why did he do that? Why did he do that? And you know that that's what I actually think the text wants to lead us to ask this question. Because the outcome of what happens We don't know. We actually don't know. But what we can ask is this. Why did Jephthah make this rash vow? You know, the scripture is clear throughout many, many places that God is in heaven and we're on earth. And it says, let your words be few. In the wisdom books, men are warned. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, these books Men are warned about making vows to the Lord. Jesus spoke about this. But don't swear by this or by that. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, I have to tell you that throughout my life following Jesus, I have I've sought as his follower not to be a man who makes vows. <laughs> because when we make vows to the Lord, The Bible tells us that we are expected to follow through and to fulfill that which we have committed uh, to the Lord. We're to follow through with faithfulness on our commitments. You know, I think about vows and I think probably there's been countless soldiers, you know, over the years that have found themselves in some sort of threatening situation and they've uttered a vow before the Lord bargaining for their life. God, if you'll get me out of this situation, God, if you'll just, if I could just survive today, then I will do this for you. You know, people in their lives have said, Lord, I'm in this situation. I'm in this marriage. I'm in this work. I've arrived in this financial situation. And Lord, if you will just lead me out of this financial situation, then I will do such and such. Lord, I have disease and sickness. If you will just heal me, Lord, of this disease and sickness, then I will do this for you and for your name. See, a vow to God always starts with an if. If you, God, will do this, then I will do this. That's what Jephthah did. God, if you will lead me to victory over my enemies, then I will sacrifice whatever comes out the front door of my house. And see, uttering vows before the Lord comes with a responsibility to honor your commitment. And so you should proceed with great caution anytime you are tempted to utter a vow before the Lord. Man, I I would say this. Why did Jephthah make this vow? Now, I think this is important. This is an important principle as a follower of Jesus. 
because we are not pagan people. We are not as followers of Jesus to be superstitious. The Lord is setting us free from religion. As we follow Jesus, look at any time, if you're visiting with us this morning and just checking out online, I got to tell you, anytime you hear me use the word religion or religious, it will always be in a negative connotation. I want to be set free from religion to live in relationship with Jesus. Jesus is always at work by the Holy Spirit to set us free from culturally pagan and superstitious ideas. I would tell you, making vows to the Lord in most situations, I mean, we make marriage vows, those are good. But in many situations, it's a pagan and superstitious idea. And so why would Jephthah make this vow? Well, he was culturally influenced by the nations around him. And I would tell you this, it was, it was this way that he was seeking to buy off God. He was seeking to get the outcome that he wanted. And, and Jephthah's action is showing us something that is endemic to the human heart. We all have this tendency to act this way. We say this. We say, God, I love you. We say, Lord, I trust you. I I put my faith in you, Jesus. But then like Jephthah, we get ourselves into some situation where we, we feel the threat of danger, where we feel insecure, and we start to bargain with the Lord because deep in our hearts, there's a lack of trust of him. Lack of trust of his character and his nature. And we offer to God something that Something that if only he would intervene in our situation, then we would do this. And you know, as you read this, as I consider this story, here's the tragedy of this story. That Jephthah actually had no need to make any such vow. It wasn't necessary. God was already with him. The spirit of the Lord had already clothed this man. The spirit of the Lord had already come upon him. There was no need to make any vow. Victory was already assured because of the spirit of God. And it makes me think this, you know, maybe Jephthah's problem was his lack of experience with the Holy Spirit. His lack of understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, you and I have a very different experience with the Holy Spirit than Jephthah does. We're new covenant people. We're people who have come to... Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit we see throughout the scripture was active from the very beginning of time. From the very beginning of God's salvation story. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament versus the New Testament is different. It's different. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon An individual, they would be clothed. The Spirit of God would clothe himself in that individual. And they would be empowered for the task. And when the task was completed, the empowerment of the Spirit would leave. Just a couple weeks out from getting into the story of Samson. Love Samson. We know that's his story. The Spirit of God would come upon him. A task would be completed. The Spirit of God would depart from him. He associated with his hair, which was a mistake. But we'll, we'll get into that. In the weeks to come. Look at our New Testament experience with the Holy Spirit is different. 
It's different from that of the Old Testament saints. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he met with his disciples in a closed room. And you know what the Gospels tells us? It tells us that Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God indwelt those disciples, took up residence in their lives. At Pentecost, those same disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit, empowered to be witnesses for Christ Jesus. The New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit has been deposited in us. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God indwells our lives, and he is the deposit guaranteeing the finished work of Jesus. He is the deposit guaranteeing the things to come. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee for all that, all that uh, Jesus will do when we turn to him in repentance and faith. The Holy Spirit brings forth the work of holiness in our lives, conforming us to the image of Jesus. He is the deposit, again, guaranteeing the finished work. Amen. I'm so glad we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in our lives and that we can be baptized in his presence be filled with power to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, poor Jephthah, he did not have that guarantee. Jephthah did not have what you have. And perhaps he feared, that's what I think, perhaps he feared the presence and the power of the Spirit being withdrawn from his life. Perhaps he feared the presence and the power of the Spirit leaving him and his forces and himself having to face the enemy on their own. But you know, the truth was that victory was a guarantee with the Holy Spirit clothing him in power. Look at I want to tell you this, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not have to fear the enemy. Amen. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of victory. He is the guarantee. And Jephthah's fail, fatal mistake was that he failed to trust God, and instead he thought this, I better do some negotiating with the Lord. I better do some bargaining to make sure everything's going to be okay. And this situation doesn't change. The presence of the Holy Spirit. Look at church. We need to know this. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of God's finished work. Now, it's, this is important. This is important for us because at its root, it means this. At the root of the problem, it means this, that every time you or I fail in faith, have some sort of failure in faith, it means this, that, that we have left trusting the Lord and his work and his sovereign power, and we've just sought to do things on our own. We know that. That's what we're doing all the time. We're always you know, setting the Lord aside and trying to do things in our own power and strength, and we have to learn to rely on him and lean on him. Jephthah was trying to manipulate God. He was trying to manipulate God for the outcome that he personally desired. And I want to tell you, those kinds of actions seek to put us in control rather than God. We become God. And God becomes our servant. And I would just say this, there was unbelief at the heart of what Jephthah was doing by making that vow. God was faithful. God was faithful and victory was won. It wasn't because Jephthah made a, a vow. It was because the Holy Spirit's power was upon his life. 
And there is this way in which we can treat faith as a, as a means by which we try to manipulate God. You know, We try to persuade him. We try to twist his arm to reluctantly give us what we want. I want to just tell you this morning. Your father in heaven is not a reluctant father. He's good. He loves you. He gives good gifts to his children. He's not reluctant. He's not reluctant. See, it is the religious heart in humanity to believe that God is not good. It is the religious heart in humanity to believe that that God is reluctant. It's a, it's a works-based idea, actually. I would say that. You know, we talk about faith and works and how mankind just in his religious heart, again, and not a good way I'm saying that, works and earns to twist the arm of God to get in his favor. It's a works-based religious idea that says, I can buy God off by convincing him of my great commitment to him. Church, this is very important. You need to know this, that your salvation is not about your commitment to the Lord. It's about the Lord's commitment to you. I'll tell you what, that'll set you free. Our salvation is about God's commitment to us. Our salvation is about the Holy Spirit deposited in us. The only work that our salvation depends on is the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. We simply enter into that relationship by trust through repentance and faith in King Jesus. And so our goal should not be to control outcomes. Our goal should be to be obedient. Our goal, let me say that again. Our goal should not be to control outcomes, but to be obedient. Obedience is the expression of love. It doesn't It doesn't involve negotiations. That's where I just hope that the Spirit of God will set you free this morning. It doesn't need to involve negotiations, but the the religious works of our hearts, of our humanity, will always do this. It'll always seek to negotiate with the Lord. Return to negotiation. Look at I want to just say this to you. Maybe you want to write this down in your Bible or something. When we begin to negotiate, beware. When we begin to negotiate, beware. Maybe you're entering into workspace actions. The Bible never instructs us to negotiate with the Lord. You know what it does? The Bible commands us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to him. You don't need to impress the Lord with your commitment. You do not need to impress the Lord with your commitment. I'll tell you this. The Lord already loves you and he sent Jesus to die for you because he cares so much for you. Because you are the affection of his heart. You know, God decided, he decided this in eternity past. God decided to save you. And I'll tell you what, it means this. You don't have to impress him. You just get to obediently enjoy him. You don't have to impress him. And human religion always involves impressing. It always involves bargaining, taking up positions, virtue signaling, like we watch in culture today. That's human religion. Human religion relies on virtue signals, all to gain a position of power. But I want to tell you this, 
You cannot interact with the living God with virtue signals. That's self-centered. That's not the gospel. You know, it's good. It's very good to be very committed to the Lord. Absolutely. The Bible says we are instructed to lay down our lives, to pick up our cross and to follow King Jesus. The life of a Christian is to be a life of sacrifice. But I'll tell you this. Jephthah paid a huge price. Jephthah paid a huge price and it was self-inflicted. It was self-inflicted and not only that, it was unnecessary. His only child, his, his daughter. And so this morning, I want, I want to do this for you. I want to just try and give us four application points, okay? Four application points. And so we come to the first one. It's this, about reckless promises. I want to make a comment about reckless promises. First, you need to be aware of faithless bargaining with the God with God again when you begin to negotiate beware and maybe you know maybe in your past you've done that you've uttered some reckless promises before the Lord some vows to the Lord and on your end you've been unable to uphold them and you say man you know I remember this time I was in this situation and I made this vow to God and I've never upheld my end of the bargain of the deal. Look at, I want to just encourage you. I want to encourage you to bring that to the Lord in repentance this morning. Okay. This is practical Christianity right here. Bring it to him in repentance. Say, Lord, I repent of that vow, (laughs) that thing that I was unable to fulfill in faith. God, I just confess that I trust in Jesus alone In Jesus alone. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I don't have to negotiate for your love. Thank you, God, that you sent Jesus to save me. I thank you, Lord, that you love me so much. Jesus came for my salvation. And I thank you for the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. And I thank you that the Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing the victory. Look at church. Don't make reckless promises. It's superstitious. It's pagan. Pagan. Second thing I want to point you to is, or talk about is just as an application, living with self-inflicted wounds. (laughs) I remember when I was a kid, you know, my first pocket knife, I took my knuckles off. I self-inflicted my fingers with that pocket knife. And, you know, maybe you are living with consequences in your life. I, I think we all have this. We all live with the consequences of past mistakes. And it's easy to, as we live with the consequences of past mistakes, not, not truly experience forgiveness. Maybe we experience forgiveness from the Lord, and yet we don't personally apply it to our own lives and, and just forgive ourselves. You know, the fact that we have to live with the consequences of our foolishness is, is, is like really clearly seen in this text this morning. Jephthah lived with the consequences of his decision. He lived with the consequences of his foolishness and And that can be demoralizing. That could paralyze you spiritually. I think about Saul. You remember Saul in the New Testament? He persecuted the church. He was responsible for the imprisonment and the murderer and the murder of of followers of Jesus. And when he got saved, he called himself the chief of sinners. And you know, I think about Paul. He could have been paralyzed and he could have spent the rest of his life demoralized by his past. Hope, 
could be lost even though he had experienced salvation. But, you know, the pain for what he had done and the things he had done was real. But when he came to Jesus and he was forgiven and he experienced the mercies of God, Paul moved on, man, and he served the kingdom of God. And, and I think about him, when, when, when Saul came to Jesus, those wounds that were self-inflicted, that he had inflicted upon his own life, they did not disqualify him from serving King Jesus. Those wounds did not paralyze him from being used in God's service, nor did they lessen his confidence in God's plan for his life. So I want to just say this to you. If you are living with self-inflicted wounds, and it, and it continues to grip you, I just want to encourage you. Seek the Lord's forgiveness, and in faith, when God forgives you, forgive yourself and get up and move on. Get up and move on. Quit looking back. Look forward. you got the Spirit of God living in you. He's a guarantee of God's finished work. The third thing I want to say to you this morning is this. We consider this text. Hold on to the grace of God. Hold on to the unmerited favor of the Lord. The Lord is worthy of your trust. I'm going to tell you something about God. He is good. There's no doubt about it. And he is sovereign, meaning that his, re- his rule is supreme. It is uncontested. His power, his lordship, there is nothing that can wrestle that out of his hand. He is sovereign. And we don't always understand what he's doing. But I'll tell you what you can trust. You can always trust his character. Always. You know, we look around the world today, we go, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. What are you doing? Look, you don't have to understand. Trust his character. Trust him. Trust him. That means we choose obedience and we leave outcomes to his sovereign control, knowing that he is always at work for his glory and our good. I'll tell you that. You can trust the Lord with the outcomes. Just trust his character. He is always at work for his glory and your good, even when you can't see what's going on around you. And the struggle to believe in grace is real, man. That's the struggle to trust in the unmerited favor of God. That is a real thing in my heart. I know it's a real thing in your life. And I would just remind you that the first tactic of Satan that he ever used against Adam and Eve was to question whether God had their best interests in mind. Look at, I want to tell you, God has your best interests in mind. The Lord loves you. He loves you. You can trust him. Amen. So hold on to his grace. Hold on to his grace. And the last thing I want to say to you is just this, this morning, an application from this text. Don't forget the word of God. You know, I think about Jephthah. His problem was that he had adopted culturally pagan ideas about God. He had wrong ideas about the Lord. He thought he needed to negotiate. He didn't know that the spirit of God was enough. And I would just tell you the way to vaccinate, (laughs) the way to inoculate ourselves is to be church people of the book. To be people who humbly devour the word of God and say, Lord, give me understanding of how your kingdom works. Lord, pull from my heart the culturally pagan and superstitious ideas that I've been soaked in my whole life. Set me free from that stuff. Lord, set me free from a religious spirit. I'll tell you what, the word of God will do that. If you're wrestling with that, 
You need to just be in the word of God, devouring the word of God. So Judges chapter 11, crazy story. Like I said, one, one of the most confusing stories in the Old Testament. And, and I'm just glad to say that I don't have any answers for you this morning. <laughs> Except to point you to the Lord and say, don't be one who makes vows like that. In eternity, we'll find out what happened with this lovely girl. Uh, we'll find out. But I'll tell you what, Jephthah, Jephthah, this man amazingly is counted in the Hebrews Hall of Fame. Hebrews chapter 11 this dude is listed as a man of faith because God is greater than your mistakes. God is greater than your negotiations. God is greater than your self-inflicted wounds in your past. And so you can come to him in faith. And as you do, he will, he will strip you and set you free of culturally and pagan superstitious ideas to be one who understands the kingdom of God. Aren't you thankful this morning for the Holy Spirit? I'm thankful. He's the guarantee. He is the deposit guarantee. Let's pray. The worship team's going to come. Lord, we thank you for your spirit this morning. God, we want to be men and women filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be men and women led by the Spirit of God. Lord, this morning we just ask freshly for the baptism of the Spirit. Lord, we just come before you. Lord, if we've made vows before you, we repent of those things. Thank you, Lord, that we don't need to add to the work of the cross. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust you for you to work for your glory and our good. Lord, we love you this morning. Would you just work your grace and forgiveness into our lives, Lord? May we hold on to grace. May we devour the word of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.